there we go. Yeah, it was set on my iPhone camera. So my iPhone camera was facing... Down? Yeah, fucking up. Yeah. One of the main reasons people have always loved Apple is it just gets the fuck out of the way. Yeah. And right at the moment, they're dead set because their user base generally is less technical now. They're trying to do all this shit for people. Yeah. But why would they think that was a good idea? That my, my Because regardless how good the camera is in your laptop, the camera in a, um, anything from like an iPhone 13 onwards is far, far better. Who wants that? I don't know. Once again, we've talked about it. The global <laughs> fuck off button. <laughs> yeah. It's a necessity for tech. No one, no one's brave enough to put one in there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, I did have a moment where I was like, Apple's just sexy. <laughs> Dude, guy, yeah, I know we're having a, we're lamenting at the moment about it, get stuff not doing it properly. But I had a moment where I had to sign a document and they said, oh, can you, you can sign it digitally. Mm. And I went, they said, do you have a Mac? And yep. I went, actually, I do. And they went, yeah, okay, we'll go on there, go to, like, sign, like, annotate, or there's a sign button And when you open the doc. And I was like, okay. And then it said create a signature. So then I was like, okay. So it had had three options. It had sign on the laptop, so use the mouse to, like, draw a signature, which was, that's just fucking hard. So then I I... Saw another one. It was like, oh, camera. So you could take sign your signature on a bit of paper, then takes a photo of it. Yeah. And then I went, oh, there's another one for iPhone, like for phone. So I clicked the iPhone tab, and then it opened up on my phone, like a touch, like the pad. And then I just signed the, on my phone, yeah. and it instantaneously showed up on it. And I was like, oh, like just the moment of like, oh yeah. I think that that increased sexiness. <laughs> is why people let Apple get away with also being more annoying than they yeah. used to be. It's kind of like a crazy girlfriend situation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's hundred percent what it is. You're <laughs> like you you're hot and sexy, but yeah, you you got complications. <laughs> yeah, <you> just <laughs> right. Well, this is the show. We might as well just keep going. So, yeah. Oliver Hunter, how you going, mate? <laughs> Yeah, good mate. Uh, we're back. We're on. We're on the. Uh, we're down the line, yeah. as they say in the biz. Um, <laughs> and uh, a little here. bit more. A little bit more tech talk there for people who thought, oh, "Have I just tuned into a comedy show or a tech show?" Yeah, yeah. By the way, a tech show where only one half of the show has any idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but like all tech shows, we're not sure which half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just described Apple as sexy, so that's that just shows you my um, realm of tech knowledge. So I think if you're going to pick one word, that's probably the word they would yeah. like most. Yeah. So I just when it, when that when it happened, I've had a couple of things happen now since I've had a a Mac, an iPhone, and now I have an Apple Watch. Mm. I've gone full fruit company, <laughs> and it's it's just the whole it's just all connected. And it just you just have odd you have weird moments where you the only like I could all I can think of is just ooh. Like, uh, <laughs> the only difference between like Apple and a normal cult, they want all your money, like every other cult. But their obsession is keeping you alive, not keeping yeah. you borderline on the verge of death. That's the only <laughs> difference. Like yeah. they want you to be cool and be good. Otherwise, they just want all the cash. Yeah, yeah. 
And I was like, on the Apple Watch, I noticed, and, and I love how we're giving one of the biggest brands and companies in the world uh, more for just free advertising. Yes. We're, we don't have any Apple sponsorships. We haven't advertised our own show yet, but yeah. Apple, thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and like the Apple Watch, they even have um, on it, like on all the exercise options, they have, like, I can set it as, like, push so that they, they, they know the watch knows I'm in a wheelchair rather than like say a Fitbit. When I had a Fitbit, it was like, it counted your steps. Mm. So <laughs> I would, I would get to the end of the day and having done, allegedly I'd done 12,000 steps some days. The only alert you would ever get from Fitbit is, Oliver, did you accidentally leave your Fitbit in the clothes dryer? It appears <laughs> to be spinning around a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I got the steps. Up. That's how you got them up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bloody Fitbit, always accusing people of cheating. That's why <laughs> I'm not a fan. Yeah. So I just want to know, because I saw you've just done some trial shows. Yeah. And two questions. Do you feel like with the trial show, just to keep this in the tech realm, your festival, comedy festival trial show, for those who don't know what we're talking about, has all of this Apple coming into your world, like just an overabundance of fruit, has it helped prepping this show or has it been a distraction from the show uh it's helped because again with the how it's all instantaneously connected and everything the mac the phone you put notes in the phone and they're in the laptop you put notes in the laptop so like dot points for bits or ideas and if they're in the notes section the apple apple in built note section then you know i know that they'll be in the phone mm. and stuff like little weird things like that and, um, yeah, and then even, like, uh, Nick, who I did, Nick Shaw, who I did the Split Bill shows with, he um, well, he recorded one set for me because I forgot to hit record on my phone, and then he airdropped the set to me, a half an hour Ugh. audio clip, and you're like, <laughs> that's another moment. I'm like, I, again, I know I was very late to come back to the fruit company, Josh. Yes, you're, talking you're about having- pushing, you needed a lot of pushing. Yes, yeah, I did, and I and you got me over the line. And if if you're out there and you're wondering about Apple getting, if you're being part of the fruit company and you've left like I did, or you've never been part, I reckon AirDrop is enough to get you over the line. Uh, it's well, firstly, my nipples are semi erect right now, but <laughs> it's the number one feature as a someone who spends part of my week doing audio production, whether for my own stuff or for other people. The ability to airdrop might be the number one feature on Apple that I love. Yeah, because that I said half an hour audio clip. That's a that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and he and then Nick was able to just airdrop it to me, and without if we if he didn't have an iPhone or I didn't have an iPhone, there would have been like like the uploads and the downloads and the links and and the would have been oh it's too big to text it to you email it to you, so I'm going to have to, you know, fly to the moon, mm. set up the satellite, <laughs> ping it back off that. <laughs> Which, just <laughs> knowing Nick Shuler, doesn't sound like something he'd be up for. <laughs> nah, he'd be like, can I do it right now? And uh, <laughs> no. Okay, well, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> you're just going to have to figure it out, champ. Uh, so, no, Nick's a lovely man. Oh, and uh, f- friggin' last time I saw him, Absolutely on fire. 
Yeah. One of the funniest people I saw last year, I reckon, in 2023. He'd be top five funniest sets I watched. Yeah. I've said this to him um, at the, throughout the two shows we did. I think he's a guy, he's a guy I've seen in the last few years uh, where once he starts his set, if the audience and him are in the same like pocket, if, if he's in the pocket and they're with him, it's the heart, one of the hardest you'll see anyone kill in comedy. Yeah. And kill, killing means doing well in comedy, <laughs> For if you're not familiar with the comedy lingo. But, yeah, he's a guy that, that once – if he's on, he is – he's prop just destroying. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong, when I, he's, he, we were both laughing because he struggled on the first – the Sunday show, the, the first show, the trial show we did. He, he felt he struggled. And he um just like he was thought he had a bunch of gear that was going to work, and he was in what uh, classic you know comedy where you're trying to build the show. You're like, oh, this hasn't worked out to the level I wanted to. Now I have about two minutes. <laughs> um, but then he had a better set the next show. But yeah, he's once he's on, and if the audience are picking up what he's putting down, mm. yeah, good night. It's it's a, just a roof <laughs> lifting. Well, yeah. Well, that show in Berwick of yours, he actually did blow the roof off. Yeah. I was like, he's killing as hard as anyone I've seen for 15 yeah. minutes. Like every yeah. joke pretty yeah. much got an applause break. <laughs> it was, yeah. And That's- what I loved most was when I told him afterwards about how good I thought it was, even though we'd met before and we've kind of interacted online, so it wasn't like a complete stranger, he didn't want a bar of it. Because I think he thought that he fucked up one tiny little bit of one joke and that didn't go as well as what he yeah. was hoping. I'm like, oh, that's great. Now I like you even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we had a good time. The trial shows, um, I think for both of us, I think for me, well, both of us, but for me in particular, I, I felt, um, yeah, the, 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 idea, the, the, the idea of the show is there. There's enough material there. It's just, it's just sorting it out, and yep. and you go, I go through this mo- these moments of like, I don't have enough, and then you do the trial shows, and you're like, oh, I've got too much, <laughs> and I wasn't able to do this bit, so does that even work? But then this, so yeah, it's still, I mean, still a lot of doubt, and you have the classic, you know, artist like, oh, it all sucks, throw it all out, start again, <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time, and it was just, it was just great to. To be able to, we did that, you know, that half an hour, 35 minutes each. And, you know, in regular spots, like we don't, like I don't get to do that. Mm. And like we as, you know, when we're just doing spots with Melbourne, Wagga, Aubrey, you don't get to do 15, 20s, 30s. So Mm. I think I've realized that this, it might be a sort of an annual thing in the lead up to comedy festivals. It's fine venues. And just book my own show and so how as someone that does at most I think the longest set I've ever done is of just stand up being on stage would be like fourteen and a half minutes. Yeah. Normally I'm doing seven to eight. Yeah, which is so how I, everyone starts. So I get to expend all of my energy and more so maybe focus on just what I'm doing for that period of time. Like what's the adjustment like, not just going up by double? But you're going from seven, eight, ten minute sets 
maybe as much as 20 all the way close to an hour in one jump. Yeah. Like, it's probably not as hard for someone like, for example, I just did two shows on the weekend with talking about someone who just murders Luke Heggie. He might murder <laughs> harder than anyone in the world. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. ridiculous at the moment how hard yeah. he was killing. Like, he probably normally does longer sets, and when he's headlining, he does 35, 40. So it's probably only a 10 or 15-minute jump for the festival for him. But what's it like for you to do that? Like, how do you pace your energy over that kind of period? That that's where I that's what I'm working on at the moment. I think it's that is that jump, and then but that that energy and that that not not rushing and not and that pacing is. I think Nick and I both talked about this. Um, we both sort of have this issue at the moment where we're in that in between phase where we've done the festival shows, done the hours, and done the fifty minute, like you said, Josh. But I think. It is hard because in my head, especially when it's new, when I'm doing untried gear and I'm trying to work the show out, you're in your head going, oh, this bit, this bit, this bit, what about this bit? And then I'm trying to work out callbacks and I'm trying to work out through lines and then I look up and realize, oh, I've done 30 minutes and I haven't had a sip of water and now I can't breathe. <laughs> um, so that's that's a big one for me. It's like, and we both, Nick and I both agreed to this. It was like just... The audience are there for you, like they're on they're on your side. Mm. So just take a breath. Yeah. Like so, I felt both shows. I was still a bit rushed and a bit chaotic because I was like, "Ah, oh, this bit. Ah, oh, okay, jump. I got to get to here because I want to see how this bit works after if I do this callback from you know." Yep. So that's where I'm at. I think, as I said, the the frameworks there, the idea of the show, and and. And as the show's, I think we mentioned already, the show's baby on board. So it's all about having a baby yeah. and that <laughs> life change. So it's all there and it's just. Yep. Uh, um, and I guess there's, just from having watched many, many bigger comedians, probably more in the last, you know, couple of years live than what I would ever have before that, there's certainly a things that you can't do in a shorter set without it either seeming, seeming forced or contrived or uh, that whole thing earlier was set up just to end the set on that callback. Like it's all doesn't feel as natural in a really short, condensed amount of time, but they're all the tools that actually work better but also kind of need to be in a longer set to tie it all together. Like, oh, that thing I spoke about 20 minutes ago, that was important because now we're here. Yes. Whereas in a short set, if you're just forcing stuff in just to do a callback three minutes later, it's like, oh, well, you just talked about that. Why wasn't that yeah. punchline just tagged on the actual joke? Yes. Yeah. Like, this is obviously why you're doing these shows, but how do you go out and practice something like a callback otherwise? Yeah, well, because, yeah, you got to, you got to, I think it's, and for me, it's, it's just about, I guess, back, and this is where I've got to be better with my, just my headspace around the whole thing. Mm. is I I think I found the closer and the callback. Nice. And I did try it on Thursday, the Thursday show, the second trial show. But I also then felt like it was a bit rushed. Like you were saying, it's a, it was a bit sort of crowbarred in because mm. I was like a bit rushed. I'm like, oh, what, what am I going to do now? And the audience were great because we, we set them up and said, this is a trial show. It's, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be messy. But then I think I lost a bit of the momentum of what this – potential closing callback could be because I was like, oh, I'll do this bit before I finish. Hmm. And then, and then the, but even the audience were like, oh, you just, you're doing that to set up. We understand the, 
the concept of what you did, but because you're a bit stunted and a bit sort of all over the shop. Mm. So I think for me, once I've got sort of the the, the middle of the show sort of there, it's funny because I think I'm at a point where I've got the start and the end. Right. But there's like 20. The, the mushy middle. There's a 15 minutes in the middle that's in the wilderness. Yeah, okay. And it's a weird, because I'm like, but even that, I'm like, it's there. Like, I think the, the jokes are there, which isn't, whereas three weeks ago, I didn't think I had the material, whereas I think I have it, but I just need to figure stuff out, which is, you know, and I think, I think too, I'd say well, it was my third official festival show this year. And it, in some way or another, it does come together. Yeah. <laughs> just at this point, it doesn't feel like it will. Yeah, I think but. it's funny with the callback thing. And what we mean by callback to anyone who's not familiar, again, with the lingo is referencing something you spoke about maybe as much as 15 or 20 minutes earlier as another bit of a joke or just – but sometimes people reference multiple things to tie different stories together, Yeah, which I remember you did at the 2022 festival show. I think you tied together two previous stories from when you were a kid and you were going to the, the gate lab in Melbourne yeah. and yeah. then you tied that into a job interview story. Yes. Which, yeah. and it was almost, some people would probably say rewarding the audience for paying attention for an hour is like a hacky thing to do, but it was brilliant and it brought the house down at least twice. I can remember when I watched four or five of those shows. Yeah. And I think it's actually kind of cool as an audience member to know that oh, I've been paying enough attention to this and I've been invested enough that I get what just happened. Yeah, that I appreciate what just happened as well. And, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, typically it is to close a show as well. Yeah. That's what – yeah, I, I have seen it done – I have seen shows, plenty of shows where there isn't a callback at the end. No. <laughs> and that's completely fine too. But I, I personally love it. Mm. So I, I my the two shows that I've done – and now the third, I seem to have found a natural way to do it. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because um, my brother Felix, shout out Felix. The brother who will be named on the podcast, regularly yeah. named Felix. <laughs> he um, he does, he has the, I think he does listen. Good on him. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Thank he, you. Uh, he was, we was, he came to the first one and he said, I did this, did this bit to, to sort of just finish up, not even like, and he goes, Oh, I was, you did this, you did the bit to finish, but I was waiting for a callback to the other bit you started with. Mm. And you just didn't, I guess I was waiting for it. I, was, I felt like I was sitting there and you just didn't <laughs> do it. And he goes, were you, like, were you aware? Did you know? And then as soon as he said, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I tried it on the next show, but because I think it was, I was still a bit rushed and a bit like, for me, it's, yeah, pacing, calming down and just knowing for 50 minutes. They're there to watch me. Yeah. So whatever I do, that, that's, you know. And 99.9% .9 of a comedy audience wants to have fun together and they want it to be awesome. Yeah. They're not adversarial like a crowd that has to sit through the dandy wall holes because they want, they're waiting for System of a Down or Slipknot. Yeah. Like it's not that kind of audience where it's a arms crossed fucking prove it to me sort of audience. Everyone there wants it to be good. And they've almost got their fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And when you got a nice crowd, and it, as I said, they're all, they, all these people were there to, to see me do, do it and Nick to do it. So I think we both had that good chat afterwards and we're like, yeah, we just got to, 
you know, just relax a bit. <laughs> nice. It's, and I think I've I've done it long enough now where I, when I'm having at my best, have my best shorter sets, as you've seen a few of them with Moga and whatever. It's when I am just like up there, even if it is for seven minutes, mm. I am relaxed. So I've got to try and replicate that over 45 minutes or 50 minutes, yep. which as we said at the start, that's fucking hard. So um, <laughs> I yeah. guess that's why you do these shows to know, okay, in the middle, not only is that joke not working, but it's more so I don't feel good about it. I've got to make yeah. it work to a point where I can feel good about it. Then hopefully it will just work even better. Yes. Anyway, that's enough about my shows. You were in, as you meant, you did mention the great Luke Heggie. You were in. You did a run with him. Tell us about that, Josh. I mean, so, I know it's brilliant. But well, Luke Heggie aside, who might be, as Dane said, both nights maybe the funniest comedian in Australia at the moment. And I, he, I mean, he's the funniest comedian I've seen probably in the last, at least the last twelve months, other than Nate Bagazi. Yeah, so it's him and Nate and then probably everyone else in terms of laughs. And so that part aside, we went to Tumut, which when people hear that, Tumut's a small-ish country town. I think some people there said there's 10,000 people there. Some of the other locals said there's about six. So it's six to 10,000 people. So it's like a mid-sized town. Up in the hills of New South Wales, country New South Wales. Country, they've got a little bit of a different kind of culture because they're right on a really nice river there within striking distance of a you know two to three hour drive of your Canberra's and a bit further to Sydney, and also they have kind of what I would call like a folk music kind of tradition there as well, just because of the sort of town. So it actually feels more familiar to me as being like a Myrtleford or a Bright. If you're from the yeah. area where Ollie and I are from, they're pretty little alpine towns. That kind of feels a bit chimidish. The crowd was great. The show started probably close to 40 minutes late because like it happens a lot and it's hard but the venue just got slammed all at once by meal orders so people turned up all within a really short pocket of time all ordered food but a lot of them were the people in the comedy room yeah where there was no tables and there's no ability to have meals in there so that kind of pushed it back so they could get through a few people in the dining room and i think it would have still bothered a little Sorry, some of the crowd a little bit, but it was also very, very hot in that room. And by the way, I just should preface this. The venue is amazing. I think it's Tumut River Brewing Co. Yeah, I've done as Yeah, there. and right. the room looks awesome. And the stage that Dane and Eleanor from the Riverina Comedy Club set up looked absolutely amazing. It looked unbelievable in there, just the lighting and everything. So it was all set up. And the heat in there, though because it was basically an outdoor shed area that's attached to the main building. And it would have been low 30s in there, still probably halfway through the show. So people have been sitting in there for a fair while. So I don't know if maybe Dane found it as easy to get them into it straight away as he normally would, but he just ground them down in the first few minutes of, hey, this shit's now starting. So everything that was happening, just ignore that. Just forget that. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> It's Where, done. Yeah, and then from that point onwards, it was amazing. And I went, personally, I thought I did pretty well, except for one joke just went so far over their heads that it basically got nothing except a few people that like clued into what I meant. So 
I've spent the next 24 hours before Wagga, which was the next night, not thinking about how the show went, which was great for everyone, and not thinking about that 90% of my set went really well. But the two seconds of awkwardness when I ended a whole bit on a bit like that was going quite well and then ended it on a bit that didn't work. Yeah. I just obsessed over that yeah. for 24 hours. I don't, yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> so thank the comedy gods that Wagga happened the next night <laughs> where I changed up a bunch of stuff. Probably the most I've ever changed a set full stop between two shows. I added like all these extra things that I've been thinking about and things I thought might work better going off what happened the night before. And I had one of what felt like probably my best set I've ever had. Oh, I love that. Yeah, love that and feeling. the new venue, Thirsty Crow and Wagga, amazing. The yep. setup, the audience, the lineup that night was really, really interesting in terms of styles of comedy. They were all very cohesive, but no one was really stepping on, a, on each other's styles at all. Yeah. And then Heggy came on at the end and just took it from, you know, a great show to a super memorable, absolute yeah. banger. So, yeah, he's I, he's similar to, to Nick in terms of styles because I think they're both, well, Nick's definitely deadpan, but uh, yeah. Heggy's, yeah. Well, there was no, moments I- in Tumut I thought that people were going to need a break. He was hitting them that hard that often. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that they look like the, they were like almost in pain. Yep. <laughs> so that too. That's it. Once the, if the once the audience are on his wavelength, it's yep. their lighter. And but. both nights they definitely were, were. on his yep. wavelength. And he's just got this hard to pigeonhole social political position where he can say one thing, you think he's coming from one angle, but it's not that, and then from the complete opposite side about a different topic and then it's not that either. Yeah. And all those little things that he does where he says something and then before the audience can even react, he says something else that's like contradicts what he just said. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just so great. It's something yeah. I've never seen before. Like when he says, oh, blah, 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 you guys probably think this. And then before they even get a chance to think how they think, he's like, no, but why would you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, yeah, it's pretty much magic. And <laughs> As soon as I saw him in Tumut, I'm like, I definitely have to find time to go to his festival show in Melbourne while I'm down there. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, he, um, he's not in an accessible venue, so that sucks. <sighs> I thought he uh, said he was when I asked him about that. Uh, I, might be, I, haven't, I haven't looked properly, but t- traditionally, he's always been in, um, in the, the top of a pub in the city that's not... Uh, uh, I think he said he might have been at the European Beer Cafe. As far as I know, I don't know. I think that is not accessible. Okay, well, that sucks. But and I will follow that up because um, one year he did do a town hall show, like a one-off, mm. and that was – I went because that was obviously town halls. I guess the best thing about the whole night for me was I'm a big Dave Kinnean fan. Yeah. As much as he's hard to convince that he's actually funny, he's a very funny man and also just a great human. And he's a lovely man too. Getting to see him watch someone that he clearly looks up to. Yeah. But he's also become comfortable with as a human. Yeah. Maybe more than last time. That was also good to see. Like, oh, why not this guy I consider a mate? I won't say that it's the other way. (laughs) Dave's a Dave's a complex human. (laughs) I think it is. Let's Yeah, let's let's say it is. Let's say it is for Dave Kinane friend. (laughs) Yeah, Dave Kinane, my friend. Getting (laughs) getting to watch someone who I would almost say is probably his 
one of his comedic idols yeah. and getting to hang out with him. That also was kind of cool. Like, oh, these two people that are at different stages of their career that suit being around each other comedically also seem to get along well off stage. Yeah. That that was cool just to see from, like, the sideline. <laughs> no, very very cool. But, uh, no, and that's it's weekends like that. And Wog, Wog has done it for both of us before the, the River Rainy Comedy Club weekends where, you, where you, you get to the end and you're exhausted because they've they're been amazing. And you're like, yep. this is why I do comedy. Yep. Like, you'll have, we'll have some bin fires of gigs. And you'd be, I've had that, especially in Melbourne now, where you're like, oh, what am I doing here? Like, uh, I could have stayed at home. Uh, yeah. And then you go to a weekend, like, or you, you go, especially Wagger, you go to the weekend now, and you're like, oh, this is it. Mm. Like, day, we've spoken about it at nauseam on this pod in the six or seven episodes already, how much we love Dane and Eleanor. But- Strap in everyone, because we're probably going to keep doing it. Yeah, because you go to those weekends, and now they're, they're, doing, they're typically doing the two shows, you just get swept up, in, and you're like, oh, this is the greatest. The other thing that was great was, particularly in Wagga, everyone on the lineup did well, I think, in their own ways. Like, they appealed to certain people in the audience a lot, but to the whole audience, at least on some level. And not every show that I've been part of recently has had a general feeling of the audiences there as a group yeah to at minimum enjoy themselves yeah but most of the night it was more than that they were fully engaged and they were giving everyone all of their attention yeah and i think that's as as openers when we when we've opened for whether it's wogger or other people but especially that river any comedy club that's all you got to do is is that first half as openers yep you've just got to hold your own and may and and everyone's got to enjoy the show to that point. And then you've got the headliner, whether whoever it is. Like, I remember this time last year, right, the February shows I did with Luke McGregor. Yeah. And same thing happened. Everyone it was a great show until that point. And then Luke McGregor came in and did, did his 25, 30 minutes. And yeah. And then everyone left going, that was the best. Yeah. So I think, too, that's, that's when I've had gigs like that featuring for headliners. You just got to get get in there, and you got to get off, and people go, oh, "That was great." But <laughs> speaking of get off, before we get off this topic, I, there's one thing about Wagga I've realised that for me at my level, that is the pinnacle gig for me, and I got probably a different slot than I have had maybe the last two or three times in Wagga. I've, I've usually gone either first or very close to opening, and I'm happy to do that. Like I love being that because I'm. Like, as Dane has said, a kind of slightly cleaner, gentler, like, introduction to the night. Hopefully I'm still funny, but I'm not going out there with the potential of offending someone in the first set. But I got to go, I think, fourth in the lineup, which I felt like was a bit of a sweet spot for me. And I don't, I just haven't had the chance to, I, mean, I guess, be in that kind of slot in the Riverina Comedy Club shows. And that felt a bit differently. I could just go on, I guess, with slightly higher energy and just start. There wasn't any on ramp. No, it was just it was just you're in, the yeah. show's kicking. Yeah. Just get up and start talking. <laughs> yeah. Try to make people laugh, it was good. Yeah. So that part was nice. 
But as I was saying, it's like I used to walk away from those type of shows, particularly the first time I did really well there, I think it was with Jack Barrett. and Also is an absolute murderer. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you track back over two years, he's probably still the funniest person I've seen. So unbelievable. That show I walked away from and a few of the shows after that felt like, oh, I'm not doing very well or oh, this isn't, why can't I replicate that? I hadn't worked out. Oh, that's because that's the special, unique thing. Most of comedy feels like this over here, where it's not that special Wagga Riverina comedy club audience. Yeah. Oh, you mean from a from a like show show to show perspective? perspective. Yeah. Okay. Like I've realised that you've just got to embrace the fact that that's extra special. Yeah. Not not think that you're going to walk on to a show a week later or three weeks later and be able to replicate on like nah. normally have a show that feels the same as that. Nah, because what, what they've got is this just this perfect like little they've created this thing, this like organism. Yes. That is just it's its own thing. And that's why you do the other gigs. So then so like I said, you have your two or three dodgy ones or you have the one the moments where you're like, what am I doing this for? And then you go to that weekend. Yeah. That's why you're doing it. Exactly. So we're pushing up on 40 minutes. So I just yeah. want to, we're going to do a top five. We'll probably make this a little quicker than our previous top fives. So Ollie, do you want to just introduce the idea of the top five? This was yours and maybe you can start us off. Okay. So my top five um, today is uh, top five childhood breakfast cereals. I was a big breakfast cereal eater with uh, my brothers and I um, as we grew up. So I thought top five breakfast cereals um, that I ate as a kid and I always, um, you know, just had, had a good, ti- good time eating. So I'll start with number five. And I, this might cop a little bit of heat. I don't know why. I just had the feeling when I, when I thought about it. But I, I always loved Special K. And I, was, and I, th- I didn't love it as a whole. But th- there's a specific thing I loved about Special K. All right. And this is why it's number five. I love the the last bowl of it in the box. Mm. So yeah, the 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 as a cereal, the flakes are pretty bland and 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 you can um you know with the milk it's fine, but the last the last bowl when it's like a mixture of of some whole flakes and then just straight up crumb, there's something about when the milk when the milk by the end of the bowl and it was just all the crumbs. <laughs> And it was like some sort of weird milkshakey type thing, and I don't know. There's something about that last bowl. That's why it's number five. I understand as a whole the cereal's pretty bare, yeah. But it's just what sort of bland flakes. Yeah. But that last bowl <laughs> got it. Got always. I always tried to time it. If it say because I had said I had four like a group with three younger brothers. It was four of us. So if like I knew we were at the back end of a box. <laughs> I'd say to my brother, like, "Oh, you here? You go. You go first. Knowing that, okay, I'm gonna tie, I'm gonna hit the last bowl, and it's gonna <laughs> all the all the crumbs, and yeah. Uh. So that's that's my number five. Number four, you know, I was trying to think back. I had wheat picks quite a lot, mm. and there was something about, and I also had cereal after school. It was a big after school snack. So for me, wheat picks was you'd come home after school and it. Usually, like if it was a summer, summer I always remember summer days after school, and you'd have your wheat bix for your after school like snack afternoon tea, 
and the cold milk on and just and just dry wheat beaks with cold milk. Sometimes in the winter I'd have it with boiling water and then the milk. Mm. But but I think if it was a summer version of the wheat bicks, you'd you'd have um just the dry wheat bicks and milk and then the the crunch and mm. the it was crispy and crunchy the first few bites. And um yeah, lo- love the wheat bicks. I think that's there's a bit of nostalgia in that too, I think. Yep. You know, classic marketing campaigns, wheat bix kids and all that mm. that cool things. So that's um, number number four. Um, number three was Fruit Loops because that was always a treat to my brothers and I. Mum did not buy that all the time, <laughs> and she would only buy the small box. She wouldn't buy like a big value pack box because she like it's full of sugar and it's full of rubbish. You know, anything that's got multi colors in it is not good for you. So. So we'd have the tiny little box, and then whenever it popped up, it usually because mum was on special, and then it would go immediately because in that that those smaller boxes, it was basically it was four bowls worth, and being four of us, it'd be gone in one. We all sit there and we'd all, yeah, <laughs> and it's a bit similar. It's a bit similar in some, in the, by the end of it, the the milk was like it become its own flavored. It was flavored mm. by the Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the t- it was like a its own experience yeah. for, like, finishing the milk like post fruit loops yeah so yeah love love the fruit loops always will number two crunchy nut oh. I loved loved a bit of it was basically corn flakes with like extra sugar and honey on them mm. and always loved them it was yeah it was just like and again by the by the end the milk was like honey flavored just. This like it's a was a beautiful thing. Um, gosh, I loved loved a bit of crunchy nut. Yeah, uh, and I I still roll past the like in the cereal oh, and I'm like, hey, should I get some? And then, but with all these cereals, you realise that they were just they weren't good for you. No, like so I was like, I could get them now, but it's not going to feel the same as I felt when I was twelve because I can't digest things like I yeah. exactly yeah I'm going to feel ill. That brings me to number one, and I'm talking about feeling ill and not being able to handle it. Uh, number one for me was Nutri-Grain, and I, I love Nutri-Grain. Mum would get that, the big big boxes, so we would have Nutri-Grain quite often, both breakfast and after after school. And, of course, famously, Nutri-Grain was, was the marketing campaign. It was, it was Iron Man food. The Iron Men and Women was sponsored by Nutri-Grain. And it was always the ads like, oh, it's Iron Man food, protein, carbs. Yeah. And, you know, you're an Iron Man, eat this food, eat Nutri-Grain. So, yeah, I always, I always loved that. And I remember the other the other day, this is speaking about going through the shops as, as an adult, the other day I did have the urge to participate in a coastal endurance event. And I thought, What's, what, do they, what do they eat? They, they eat Nutri-Grain. So... Uh, so I went down to the shops and I and I bought I bought some Nutri-Grain and I ate the Nutri-Grain planning to compete. And turns out after a big bowl of Nutri-Grain and, and milk, the last thing you want to do is a bit of soft sand running and open water swimming. <laughs> turns out the only thing you want to do after a bowl of Nutri-Grain is have a nap for six hours. Yeah. So <laughs> And then wake up and do something else. <laughs> then wake up and just really stare at the wall and wonder what where your life's at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but number one, loved a bit of Nutri-Grain, but I do feel lied to by Kellogg's mm. as a 10-year-old. 
So we need to um, figure that out. Um, that's top five. I will give a um, I will give a dishonorable mention to Cheerios. Oh yeah. I don't understand what they were bringing to the table. I had a bowl with them well, once. We're bringing but... cheer. I know that. <laughs> I was at a cousin's house for a sleepover, and they had Cheerios. And I was, I had some, and I remember about the third mouthful. I was like, "What's, what's happened here? What, what, <laughs> what, what, what are you, what are you?" I understand that, that special K can be a bit bland, mm. but like I was, it was I had these weird, like weird flavors. And I didn't. I just didn't know what they were. Yeah. Like I just didn't and appreciate it. Unlike and, uh, a special K, I see special K as almost like a platform that fruit, yeah. your yogurts, and other things can live on top of. Yeah. And once again, like we we're talking about fruits in the past with pavs, a solid pav can elevate certain fruits. Yeah. Special K could was elevated in and of itself by other types of dairy, particularly yes. and and fruit. Whereas Cheerios, it just didn't have that platforming ability. No, no, it was it was just Greg's the Greg's or the dreads of um of cereal. <laughs> didn't didn't appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that's my top five childhood cereals. We're open to interpret. I I will admit, Cocoa Pops aren't in there because I I wasn't a chocolate guy. Mm. My brothers did love Cocoa Pops, but this is my top five. So yes. get stuck. Um, <laughs> hey, eat it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying it because I had much older siblings and older parents than most of my friends. So I was essentially eating what I considered to be more adult cereals as a little tiny kid because that's what was in the house. So also, the only milk was full fat milk. That's what I'm talking about. Everything's full fat milk from a cow, not from a nut. Sugar, <laughs> sugar was white. And highly soluble. So even though I eat raw sugar now, if I do have sugar, it wasn't back then. It was as white as my skin tone right now. <laughs> yep. So number five, and this was a great day when this happened. And this was also a last, like it was great the whole way down, but the last bowl of the box type cereal as well, Sultana brand, because it tasted great in my opinion. But also back then and probably still for a lot of people, farts are funny <laughs> and nothing sets me off maybe other than like a hot cross bun which has also <laughs> got sultanas in it nothing sets me off like sultana brand and i always found it funny when i was going to swimming training because i'd be loaded up on sugary cereal and just farting in the pool <laughs> so number four was rice bubbles and rice bubbles was my platform cereal so by itself was okay almost flavorless to a lot of like to a certain degree just loved sugar. Throw a pile of sugar on it and rice bubbles went to another level. Essentially, it was a sugar delivery device and I enjoyed it. <laughs> so number four was rice bubbles. Cornflakes had what I thought was a better flavour like in and of themselves. I liked cornflakes and this is when I was saying like an adult cereal. My friends weren't eating cornflakes. It's just dad had them. My older siblings were still at home when I was a really little kid. They were all eating cornflakes and Wheaties. I lent cornflakes because they were like a rice bubble, but it was flat and could <laughs> carry more sugar. <laughs> and I could still see the sugar, which for some reason tricked my brain into thinking, oh, this is even more sugar. This is great. So there's a common theme here, as you'll notice about my childhood. 
Number two, and this is where I realised that I was a bit of a punk rock contrarian kid. Wheat Bix, you can stick them. Even though that's what I love now, I was a Vitabrits kid. Right, yeah. I was pushing hard on Vitabrits, and I remember <laughs> when I first started asking for them, I must have had them at a mate's house or something. My mum distinctly looked at me like, pretty much like, why do you want the inferior Brit? Like, why do you want that? Wheat Bix are better. <laughs> and I just pushed hard for Vitabrits, and then I ate them for a couple of years until I realised Wheat Bix are better. <laughs> but the thing about the Vitabrit for me was I Steph curried the sugar. I tripled it. <laughs> These were large. I was putting so much sugar on my Vitabrits that when I microwaved them in the colder months, the, the sugar would turn into like a swirl that looked like I was in the Bermuda Triangle. There was that much sugar in there. You could see the difference between what was still cereal and where the sugar was flowing into the center. It was bloody great. So those were all sugar-related. Everything was about how do I get as much sugar in my body as I can. And for those who are wondering, I had at that point a six-pack because I was swimming all day, every day, competitively. So I wasn't. I was burning it all off. But number one, and this was the unadulterated perfection cereal for me, it didn't need too much sugar or any. It would handle non-full-fat milk. So basically that to me makes it a God Mode cereal. And also I loved all the branding, I loved the colour, and I loved that the milk would change and become a chocolate milkshake. Cocoa Pops. There it is. Every time I have a bowl now, because every once in a while, instead of buying some shit food, I buy a shit food in the form of cereal. And I eat it and it transports me straight back to some of my happiest moments. Nostalgia. Love it. But I don't. It's so good, Ollie. So good that I didn't have to put sugar on them to be able to force them into my body. (laughs) As I said, unadulterated perfection. I could eat them out of the box like as a snack. Yeah. When they were baked into another food, like a brownie type situation, or they were baked into like a sticky thing. All the forms of Cocoa Pops I like. All variations of the of yeah. the Cocoa. And I can't say that about rice bubbles. If you showed me like a rice bubble slice, I'd, I don't know, fucking tell you to go slice yourself. <laughs> yeah. I want Cocoa Pops in all the forms, and that's why it's my number one cereal. Uh, that's great. And I'm so happy you thought of this one because I didn't realise until I put this list together about half an hour ago. I did the same thing. That yeah. I've got feelings about it. <laughs> There's nothing better than a top five when you realize, why do I even have feelings about this? Yeah, it's a good I'm thing. A year old man. Yeah. But there's obviously a lot of a lot of food trauma that I'm still trying to deal with here. Yeah, and I'm just yeah, I'm lucky. I'm just glad you're still alive after all that uh, the sugar that was just pumping through your veins. Well, I've got to thank my dad on some level because he had he was an electrician and worked as much as anyone I've ever met but also had the farm for the last part of my like younger childhood. So he was tacking on an extra 20, 25 hours a week of more work and he was burning through sugar like there was no tomorrow. So compared to how much he was putting on, mine sen- seemed like nothing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got away with what most parents probably wouldn't have let me get away with. Yeah, and the, you're the youngest, mate. So you were yeah, like, but. I was, and by that point, my parents a bit older probably weren't so much on the, Josh, don't use a shovel in the sugar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I didn't even need a sand pit, Ollie. 
Yeah. Just give me the sugar bowl. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just swim in it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we, uh, we've gone long, uh, but that, as always, good time. Great time. Uh, no, I think we're right in the pocket there, like Nick Schuller. Nick Schuller type pocket there, 50 the 55. Luke Haggy pocket of just, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes. But uh, any, any feedback, any suggestions are welcome. Any top five recommendations? Send us through your top five, and we'll read them out on the on future apps. Yep. But, uh, you know, I've had a we've had a few people come come through, come out of the shadows, and have little darts at us. And like we like, I'm just saying, <laughs> that, like come come forth with the feedback. Yep. And we will embrace it, and we will put forward your ideas. But I, uh, you know, I've had a few few people now just have little pot shots, and I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so, Every, everyone knows now that if you present me first with a piece of Cocoa Pop slice, yeah. you could say anything to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you give me a bowl of Fruit Loops, yeah. like, I'll do whatever you need me to do. So, <laughs> so we, we love it and we're, we thank for the people that are, that are listening. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. Right. Okay. Thanks, Ollie. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs>